Are you filled with fear, doubt, worry about the future of our country? Do you feel the urgency to act before it's too late? If yes, then this podcast is for you. It's time for us all to confront the critical issues threatening our nation's fabric, our democracy itself, irregardless of her political stance. If you're ready to face reality, handle the tough questions and find real solutions, then here's your host, Debbie Lynn Molyneux. Welcome to the Terrified Nation podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Lynn Molyneux. And can we save it? Now, that's what we're exploring in this podcast series. And for me, the answer is a resounding yes, we can and we must. This show is where we explore alternatives to being afraid. And in the first five episodes, I offered a framework of how to prepare yourself and how to think about what's out there in culture that could be influencing your belief in the future and why we're so scared. I like to start each show with a question that we can explore together. And today's question is how does history inform our understanding of our lives and our nation? And so for that, today I'll be interviewing Caroline Klibanoff. Now, Caroline is the director of Made by Us, which is a nationwide network of historic sites and museums that are all joining forces to support young adults. It's civic engagement inspired by history. Now, Caroline herself is a scholar of commemoration and commemorative practice, having studied how to build civic rituals and traditions. So Caroline, what would you like to add? If you can understand how we got here, then that can help us figure out where we're going next. Um, so I'm trained as a historian, and I have been working in historic sites and the civic engagement sector for a long time, and I started my career in public opinion. So this really brings together all of my interests quite nicely. So uh, the first thing that I want to do is get you on record as to what your preferred future is for your own life. Hmm. And then we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing to invite more people to do uh, what you're talking about with Made by Us. So this is about preferred, not likely or probable, preferred future. And we're going to get into a time machine today and travel within your current lifespan. Now, we recommend somewhere between 2 and 20 years, but what sounds right for you? Let's go, let's go 10 years into the future. 10 years it is. So let's climb into this handy-dandy time machine that's sitting right here next to us in the, the podcast booth here. And let's take a few deep breaths. And when we get to this imagined future of yours, that's going to be in early 2034, I would like you to observe yourself 10 years older hmm. and then respond to these questions as you're looking at your future self. You got it? Got it. All right. So the first, you know, so, oops, hold on. We got to get out of the time machine. Ding. <laughs> We're here. Here we are. We're getting out of the time machine and we're climbing out onto the platform. And the first question that I have is like, so where are we in 2034? If we can get there, my preferred future, we're getting out of the time machine and we are living in the United States. That's the realm that I know. Mm -hmm. um, and people are not stressed there, there's not, I can tell you more what there's not, I guess. There's not okay. a pervasive sense of doom and gloom. 
but people are productive. They're going about their lives mm -hmm. with other people. We're spending a lot less time on devices compared to what we might see today. People okay. are actively working together all around us. That's what you see because they're not doing it behind closed doors or, you know, at home isolated, but actually everywhere you go, that's okay. what you're able to see. So, so geographically, where are we? Such a constant question in my life. I've moved around a lot yeah. and it remains to be seen. Let's see. I will be in 10 years. I will be still young. I think 43 years old. I will hopefully be living somewhere with my family. And I guess let's say that place is Miami. That's where I live today. 10 years. Okay. That seems realistic. Um, Miami, not underwater, still thriving, still here. It's winter. So, you know, it's the nicest time of year. And I think in a place like this, what I would want to see in my preferred future is that when I walk outside my door, it's walkable. There's shops that are under apartments. We're living in a dense walkable community. A lot of this is just day-to-day -day life preferences. And then I have, I'm able to access things really easily that we need. Groceries, activities, entertainment. I guess one thing I would love to see in my preferred future, my family lives in Atlanta. So if there was high-speed rail between those two places, mm -hmm. that would be huge. Wouldn't have to right. drive or fly. So that's just, I don't know how detailed you want, but that's a start. Well, you're actually like jumping ahead to some of the other questions that we have, which is cool. <laughs> Um, well, as you're looking at yourself at 43, you're still in Miami, you've got your family, you're living in a walkable neighborhood. Like, what is it that you will be most proud of? I think it's, I think this is a difficult exercise, actually, to think about the future piece and how nice it will be. I don't operate in that line of thinking that often. You're a history a, specialist. Yes, it's a new <laughs> muscle to flex to think about the future and to think about what could go right. I'm not wired that way naturally. And it's not been my professional skills that I've built. Honestly, what comes to mind when I think about what I would be most proud of would be that individually and as a society would be preparedness, that we were able to get ahead of any disasters that could have wrecked our society. And that preparedness is such an overlooked virtue to me because you don't notice it when it works. You only notice it when you're missing it. So that would be what I'm most proud of, that we invested the time and resources and willingness to think about scary things mm -hmm. and willingness to invest even when the payoff is not certain to stave off a worse future. Anything else that you think you'll be proud of? I mean, I think I'll be proud individually of working with integrity and being a really good player in the sandbox, actually something I learned from you. You know, I think the only way we get to that future is through collaboration and working together. There's too many people and organizations still working in silos or believing that you know, they have to hoard their resources or best interests when our fates are really linked at this point. So I will be very proud of but if I've always worked in a collaborative dot connecting kind of interstitial tissue kind of way. I'll have run the marathon. Let's say that. No, but, but you'll be proud of that too. If you, that's good. How do you envision spending your day? Like an average day in your preferred future in your walkable neighborhood? It's really hard to, to guess. Like I hope to spend that day 
with family, living a family life, essentially. Um, Do you have kids? I don't have kids now. So it's again, it's like 10 years. Will you? Yes, I would hope so. But very hard to imagine, right? When you're, when you don't know and you're in that window, I guess. But so in 10 years, yes, spending time with kids, spending time with my husband, spending time living really locally, going to those stores, going to those community board meetings, meeting with neighbors, catching up on the gossip around the neighborhood. I think that's, that's how I like to spend my day. And then devoting my work to something that has national impact that can help kind of sow these seeds of connection for people and belonging. Because really, I think our country is made up of all of these small communities that people feel deeply, deeply attached to much more than the national story, but the national story is really important as well. And so finding ways to connect people to that larger picture and that larger role, that's how I want to spend my time. I'm sensing kind of like this really deep through line, if you will, Mm -hmm. in your preferred future of like, we're really thinking about and considering all aspects of history, but also then how, what that means for who we are, where it's possible for us to go in the future. Absolutely. And, and being curious kind of every day about how we got here, what it would have been like. I mean, I think about it constantly and I was very lucky to grow up you know, we went to a lot of museums and historic sites. I read all the American Girl books and Dear America books and historical fiction. And I think what that gave me was a sense of that other people have lived so many types of different lives. There's no blueprint. There's just you and your skills and your interests. And you can bring all of that in as inspiration for what you do in the future. But your story is one of so many that matter. So I, yeah, I do think about this a lot. I think about my grandparents who served, like my grandfather in Alabama served on so many civic boards. Like I was reading his obituary, probably 20 different board membership type of things were mentioned. And, you know, I think that's an overlooked role today. And I think this future casting exercise is helpful. But when you think about what you will be known for at the end of your life, Where did you spend your time and where did you give back? Because like we always say, no one else is coming. (laughs) It's just up to us. We are the ones. In your preferred future, you know, where you have this deep sense of connectivity with your neighbors. And I love the little aspect of getting the neighborhood gossip. But how will you feel most of the time? I think safety would be the number one way. Mm -hmm. Feeling safe is essential. And I think, sadly, so few people feel safe in this country for so many different reasons. You couldn't even tally them. Right. So that's number one, feeling safe in terms of physical safety, economic safety, mental well-being, um, and feeling like you have support from other people. I think the loneliness crisis has been well-documented and not the first to say it, but it is acute. And so- Loneliness contributes to feeling unsafe. And so I think in my preferred future, for me and for others around me, we feel safe. We don't feel lonely. We feel like there's a network of people around us all the time who know us, who see us, and who understand what we're going through. Um, And ultimately, I really do hope to feel fulfilled as someone who it's very high and ever, ever higher bar for what I want for myself and for my country. I do hope to feel fulfilled that I've contributed towards the greater good. You already have, just just in case there's a question there. So what will be your three to five priority values or again, qualities is a substitute word? 
Um, let's see. I do think integrity is number one. Mm-hmm. Belonging is huge. To feel belonging. Similar to belonging, connectedness that you, I feel like connection is essential to human life. I would add preparedness. Um, I mentioned that earlier. And since you gave me five, I'm, I'm going to go all the way to five. Can't leave one stone unturned. I do think curious is the last one I would include there. If you hadn't included it, I was going to ask you if you wanted to. Yes. <laughs> I was going back and forth. Informed. Informed is a kind of fixed state, or I guess it's ongoing, but you don't need to be informed if you're curious. Curious leads to being informed. So you've talked about this next question a little bit about, you know, this community that supports your preferred future. What does it need to include? It does need to have physical infrastructure to support it. I was doing one of these marathon training runs through downtown Miami. It's a booming city, but there's so much construction and I'm running through the dust and it's unpleasant. It's worse than running through the sun or rain. It's just terrible. I'm physically dirty. I can be sweaty, but I'm now dirty and I'm unhappy about that. I think that if there's not strong infrastructure, it makes it not a nice place to live and it creates a disinvestment in that place. So infrastructure that works, not just that works well, but is clean, enjoyable, aesthetically pleasing. It matters. Another piece is ability to get to other parts of the country and understand what it's like there. The last two summers ago, I went to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I just thought this cannot be the same country as Miami, Florida. And then you go to Boston, Massachusetts, and you're like, how is this the same? So I think a better way to experience other people's realities in other places. Mm-hmm. And then I think another piece of this would be basic needs being met, safety. We have a huge safety problem right now in this country, physical safety for so many reasons and for some populations more than others is in danger. Care, we have like a huge crisis of care and having enough support for children, for older adults, for people who can't work every day a, a million hours. That's where my interest is. And then I think the other thing I would want from my community and my country is a willingness to adapt our systems. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why we can't have better systems on some of the things that we have. People will say, yes, there is. There's reason A and there's reason B and there's reason C. You're like, those are just design challenges. Those are not reasons to shut down the conversation and say, that's why we can't have a national voter registrant database. Can't have it state-based. Yes, yes, we can. We do taxes that way. We do other things that way. So that's my hope is that there's just a little more openness to making things better. Having just had a challenge with the veterinary healthcare system last week, I, yes. <laughs> right. Like It's going to take me a week to get an oral antibiotic medication for my cat. That's outrageous. You yeah. just feel so defeated. And at the point that we're asking, you know, sick people yes. to battle this system. system with no help, how is that going to work? What I'm hearing you calling for in community is to go back and redesign systems to mm-hmm. be human-centered again, because they've gotten away, in my opinion, from being human-centered and they're industry-centered or regulatory-centered, or there's some other center that actually doesn't serve humans. Absolutely. I think every system mm-hmm. should be human-centered. Absolutely. And I think every system that's public facing should be consumer centered, user centered. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're spot on. I mean, 
every other group almost has a say in how these systems get designed, except the users. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to get come back around now to your preferred future and your challenge of thinking about the future and what you want and need and what you hope for the country, which I, I find really inspiring too. <clears throat> you are already doing things to influence or co-create this community that's going to support you in 10 years. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So, so much of my work in this role has focused on Gen Z. And I really do believe this generation is built differently because of the factors that have shaped their lives and the time that we're all now experiencing. And so my role has been to ensure that they have access to a full inclusive history to understand how we got here. And the lever to do that is museums and historic sites because they have vast expertise. It's pluralist cover every aspect of history. They're conveners of people and ideas. So through Made by Us, we have worked to help museums and historic sites build the capacity to serve 18 to 30-year-olds better so that those sites can become civic hubs for young adults. That's your go-to resource as a starting place to figure out who you are and what you value and how you can be a citizen. In addition to that, I think that there's a real need for institutions to embrace um, and make room for Gen Z perspectives. We've done that a lot through Made by Us, but as we approach the US 250th anniversary, Gen Z is at the helm. Four million Americans turn 18 every year, a fresh cohort of voters, taxpayers, active citizens, leaders, workers, and they feel that they have not gotten a full history in school. They certainly haven't gotten civics education for the most part. And now we're saying, well, it's your country. Here's the keys. So I feel really strongly that institutions across the board would be better served and that we would be able to sow better connective tissue between institutions and young people if young people had a seat at the table. And that if we give them a seat at the table, which we've done through a lot of our work, you would start to see more creative ideas. There's so much data to back this up, but I was recently reading an interview with Arthur Brooke. He was explaining that in your 20s, your capacity for creative thought is so great. That's just how your brain is wired. Later in life, you have the benefit of wisdom. It's a different type of knowledge and a different type of way that your brain works. It makes you a better teacher and a coach and a leader. But when you're young, you have this expansive dot connecting and we need to harness that. We need to see that as an internal civic superpower that we can use for our country's well-being, just like we invest in STEM or we invest in, you know, having a strong stock market. Maybe we could invest in our intellectual powerhouse of, of young people. Who can get involved in your work? Because your work, you said, is targeting 18 to 30-year-olds. So we serve... Any 18 to 30-year-olds are, of course, welcome to get involved and benefit from these programs, mm -hmm. but it is for everyone. I think what we're doing while focused on younger people, it has a ripple effect outward. Um, something like the Civic Season, which runs from Juneteenth through July 4th every summer, is a new civic tradition, and it's fun, and it's celebratory, it's reflective, it's the time in the summer that you can learn about how we got here and what you believe well before you need to take that to the ballot box in the fall. So that's for anyone. You know, there's thousands of activities that happen during that time that people can explore. Mm -hmm. But I think the other key constituent for who can benefit from what we do is institutions or organizations that are sort of top down or have been led by older adults. 
they bring plenty of expertise to the table. It's not to dismiss that, but it's a question of future-proofing our institutions at some point. I grew up in a newspaper household. My dad's whole career was in newspapers. Um, I learned early on that institutions are not permanent just because we want them to be. And I think that we don't need, in today's kind of fluid plural age, we don't need to see things anymore as an either or. You know, it's not newspapers or digital. It's not museums or Netflix documentaries. We need to work together and see this as a holistic system that we all operate in. And that will touch on this a little bit, but I also want to make sure that people know, like if they want to get involved with Made by mm-hmm. Us, what's the first step for them to take? Well, I definitely visit our website, historymadebyus.org. Visit our Instagram. If you want a crash course in history, you should follow History Made by Us on Instagram. It is very engaging and entertaining. You can get your daily dose there. Um, I would definitely mark your calendars for the civic season. It's coming back in 2024. So it will kick off June 15th, runs through July 4th, and there will be events in all 50 states are taking part. For people who don't know why civic season, can you give us a little snippet on civic season? And I've been supporting it for several years now myself, but it was your creation. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. So after we had launched Made by Us, one thing we kept hearing from our youth community, especially during the summer of 2020 and after the murder of George Floyd, was they didn't feel all that patriotic about showing up to a July 4th event. They weren't saying cancel July 4th. They were just saying, I don't know why I would really go to that. It doesn't seem like it's for me. Most July 4th events are very celebratory, patriotic, God bless America and, and all that. And they always get me, by the way. I'm always like crying at the fireworks, just like, wow, what a country. But I understand the dis- the disconnect that people felt, that young people felt in particular. And so mm-hmm. coming out of 2020, we had some conversations with young people. It became so clear that it was like just a question. Again, getting back to that creative thinking, why is July 4th? This static thing where all you can do is eat a hot dog and watch a parade, which again, I love and fireworks. Why, why is that it? Like we have Martin Luther King day. That's a day of service. Mm -hmm. No one said just observe this and do nothing. That's a very active day. Why is our nation's birthday treated like an evening event after a day off? It could do more. So again, not saying cancel July 4th saying this should do something Mm -hmm. for our country And, you know, Juneteenth, because Black history was on the rise in everyone's consciousness and many, many people were learning about Juneteenth um, for the first time, we decided that linking these two holidays together would be a great way to start a new tradition. And I actually am a scholar of commemoration and commemorative practice and have studied monuments and all these different ways that we can build rituals and traditions. It's one of the best ways the public has access to taking part in what history we learn and how we experience it. So building a new tradition was very exciting. And we launched in 2021. Now we're coming into our fourth year and it has been just really magnetic appeal to people to say, I did want to do something different with my summer and use it to help become a better person or a better citizen. For people who might be listening to this podcast who are still unaware of Juneteenth, Juneteenth was the day that Texas received the Emancipation Proclamation, read it out loud to the slaveholders and to the enslaved people of Texas. And so it was when the last people in the United States actually got their freedom. 
Um, and so that's why Juneteenth is celebrated in many African-American communities. And it's, it is a nice, I think, bookend to the 4th of July, which was the inspiration of freedom, right? And then Juneteenth, uh, which is when uh, all Americans were actually free. Absolutely. It's interesting because both of those dates are really about when, you know, a document made landing for people. What we write down matters, how we activate that matters even more. So to me, they're inextricably linked and just part of the ongoing American story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's a nice ending point, if you will, because we've tied in history on the backside of the future that you want to prefer that you're actually working towards with a historical lens. And I just want to say thank you so much, Caroline Klibanoff, for being with us today and highlighting the work that you're doing with historymadebyus.org. I'd like to say a big thank you to Caroline Klibanoff, director of Made By Us, which is a nationwide network of historic sites and museums centered at the Smithsonian Institute. And you can learn more about their work by visiting the website at historymadebyus.org. In closing, I'd really like to just thank you for giving a damn about our nation. We may be a terrified nation today, but we can do better. We can save the USA. Join me next time. So that's it for today's episode of Terrified Nation. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a $15,000 private VIP day with Debbie Lynn Molyneux herself. Be sure to head on over to TerrifiedNationPodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Debbie Lynn's gift and join us on the next episode.